how can we make sure that we don't get in the way of our own greatest personal success? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks. Growth-oriented, partial-related, and this time Parsha and Pesach-related Torah podcasts. And we have just finished the book of Shmos of Exodus. We're opening the book of Vayikra, Leviticus, first Parsha of Vayikra, of the book of Vayikra, and the opening word of Vayikra. If you open up your Chumash, you may note that there's something odd in terms of the lettering, that one of the letters is written in a smaller font. And don't ask for a recall. In fact, if it's not written in a smaller font, you've got what to worry about. In the Torah itself, Vayikra is written with that small aleph. What's the message in that? There are many. I actually saw a work this week that cites another work as having 1,000 understandings of that small aleph. I'm sure many of them very, very mystical and Kabbalistic. But a basic level that is taught by the Baal HaTurim in his commentary is that Moshe was interested in masking the fact that God had a unique, special, endearing relationship with him. Vayikra indicates a purposeful calling to Moshe. I'm interested in talking to you. Sans that Aleph, Vayikar, would be, and God chanced upon Moshe. In fact, when the text describes God talking to the wicked prophet Bilam, the one who wants to curse the Jews later on in the book of uh, Numbers and Bamidbar, Bilam, it says Vayikar. God chanced upon him. No special warm and fuzzy relationship over here. I need to share a message and you're available for that. Moshe, he calls Moshe very directly. And Moshe wanted to mask that and remove the Aleph. They come to a compromise, you could call it, and God allows him to reduce the size of the Aleph. It won't draw as much attention, won't focus on the very unique relationship. You can reduce the size of the Aleph. But how ironic. We note and perceive Moshe's humility and his readiness to forfeit that Vayikra and to, to forfeit the indication of the closeness it's now highlighted in that small Aleph. And, commentaries explain as well, Aleph generally symbolizes God, oneness, Aleph, numero uno. And everything about the Aleph, the talk in itself, relates to the notion of the ultimate one, the ultimate connection we have with God. In fact, there's a comment of the Vilna Gaon that if you want to understand the nature of a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, look for the first time it opens a word in the Torah, Aleph, right there, word number three, Breshis Bara, the name of God, Elohim. And everything about the Aleph signifies oneness in the big sense of oneness, and the Aleph indicates being connected with God. So in the Aleph, that is written in a unique manner, draws attention to the fact that Moshe wanted to mask his unique relationship with God. Adam, humanity, is Aleph, the God connect, plus Dam, flesh and blood. Moshe was certainly very Aleph-dominant. He, he was very God-connect-dominant. The flesh and blood side of himself was far less significant than the spiritual side of himself. He wanted to hide the Aleph. That says, can't take it away, it's got to be there, you can reduce it, but again, that draws attention in our minds as we see this text to Moshe's uniqueness, his unique relationship with God, the unique degree to which his Aleph side was so well developed. And his humility, that is tied to that. His God connect, his recognition of his smallness vis-a-vis God, and that humility. That if Moshe was not so humble, and he was promoting himself, 
he would not live on as the great Moshe that he is. In his humility, we have greater focus and greater attention given to Moshe. Look at the Pesach Seder that's going to happen just over a week from now. You can ask this at your Seder table. Everybody find where Moshe is written in the Haggadah. And they shouldn't find too many references. There is actually one, and it's almost in a very obscure manner, uh, late into the reading of the um, Haggadah, where we make reference to Moshe using a verse in the Torah. But outside of that, ask them first, maybe, who's the key player? Who's the key hero? And of course, Moses, Moshe, where is he? He's masked. And some understand that is in sync with what Moshe would want. He would want that you're not, you're not highlighting me in the story. But of course, at the end of the day, in the fact that we read the story, we, we ultimately, naturally come back to acknowledging Moshe as that one who developed himself to the degree that he is the fitting agent of God to be the emissary bring us out of the land of Egypt. Ego often gets in the way of our success. Ego gets in the way of our being really appreciated. It gets in the way of our, you know, our, our seeking our pride, seeking our honor, has others ultimately less comfortable giving us that honor. Talmud describes it called those who run away from honor, honor comes chasing after them. The story is told of somebody who comes to his teacher and says, Rabbi, I don't understand. All my life, life I'm running away from honor and it hasn't come chasing me. The rabbi says, yeah, but you keep looking back over your shoulder. Just as an aside, I think of this idea and back to when my father of blessed memory passed away, I was speaking at his funeral in Baltimore and I remember as I stood up facing a crowd of 1,500 maybe, 1,800, a huge number of people who came to show honor to a man who certainly deserved it. And if I remember correctly, I remember just almost blurting out this expression, those who run away from honor, all of his life he was running from honor, always deserved it, always shied away from it, and it came running after him in that moment. There's actually one of three such gatherings because then there was a small funeral as he was taken to New York to fly to Israel, People gathered at the airport in New York, and a large crowd gathered in Israel when uh, the actual funeral was taking place in Israel uh, about half a day later. But this notion, if we run after the honor, can't expect it to be there. If we shy away from it, it'll come after us. Now, a related element, (laughs) there's a question that if you want, everybody finish, assumes they're finished, the Seder, you get your Chad Gadiah, the story of the goat, or the sheep, the goat, actually, at the end of the uh, Haggadah, sang that song, or he's up to leave, say, wait a minute, got a problem over here. This question, uh, we'll get to the historic background to this question, but ask them the following. Got this innocent little goat over here that was attacked by the cat. Okay, so good goat, bad cat. Who comes to the defense of the goat? Dog. Okay, so dog is helping out the goat. So you got good dog, bad cat. I, I did it wrong. Good goat, bad cat, good dog. And let's go up the chain. Fighting the dog, stick. So bad stick, good fire, bad water, or fireman. <laughs> good cow, bad slaughterer who gets rid of the cow. Good angel of death who gets rid of that shochi, the slaughterer. Top of the chart is God seemingly on the wrong team. Right? What's up with this? That we have God at the end of the chain on the team of the cat. Now, you can go grab your Haggadahs and check this out. It stacks up this way. And that's a problem, isn't it? 
this question was raised, there was a huge feud splitting apart Europe about 250 years ago. Followers of two different rabbis and a lot of debate as to the debate between these rabbis and the students taking it to the nth degree. One of the rabbis, Jonas and Eipschitz, walks into a synagogue, into a shul, and he hears this fight going on in the shul, this argument about him. Apparently they didn't have his, you know, rabbionasipchitz.com, uh, they didn't have his picture up, didn't have uh, their rabbi cards with his picture on it, and one group is arguing he's a great rabbi and he's being maligned, the other group is saying no, he's following the Shabbatai Tzvi false messiah movement, and he deserves to be run out of town, and, and they're arguing back and forth about him and the other rabbi, and honor of Torah, heretics, all these terms being thrown around. Gentlemen, 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 he says, excuse me, you're dealing with big issues over here of scholars and Torah and honor of Torah and honor of God. I've got a basic question about the Pesach Seder, about the Chad Gadya. Now, nobody asks questions about the Chad Gadya. People are ready to leave and they're half asleep by that point, but he asked them this question. And he stunned them. He silenced them. They never resolution. Rand double-checked the Haggadah. Did he leave out a step? But no, he's got it right. Going from that Goat at the bottom, attacked by the cat, all the way up to God on the wrong side of the chart. Said Rabbi I have a theory. My theory is as follows. Maybe we're making a mistake. Good goat, bad cat. When the dog attacked the cat, was the dog attacking the cat because dogs like to defend goats? Or was it, perhaps, that the dog was attacking the cat because dogs like to attack cats? And here I can attack the cat and make myself look like the tzaddik, make myself look so righteous, I'm the hero, because I fought off this cat that's hurting the goat. But I'm really just interested in picking a fight with the cat, and here's my excuse. Had the dog been there purely to defend the cat, the goat, again, that wrong, sorry, who's there to defend the cat, then he's a good dog. But he's there to fight the cat. Regardless of the fact that ultimately it helps out the goat, you don't call that dog good dog, and the whole chart gets tilted the other direction. With that in mind, said Rabbi Ibshitz, there's these rabbis out there that Rabbi Ibshitz, Rabbi Emden, they're involved in this debate, big issues over there, and if, in fact, there are people who are arguing this fight, fighting the fight, getting all riled up about it, purely focused on the honor of the sage, on the honor of the Torah, on the honor of God, that's their full intention, then that can be a kosher fight. But if people are fighting this fight because people like to fight fights, and here I've got this excuse that it sounds like a kosher fight because at the end of the day I'm defending this rabbi, end of the day I'm arguing in favor of this principle of the Torah. But that's not the real motivation. If that's the case, then this ain't no kosher fight. And all of the terrible ramifications that come from arguments, machlokas, divisiveness, and, and general breakdown of our Jewish society, we're at risk for all of that if there's not really, really, really a fight for the idea of, ultimately, for Hashem, for God's honor. This story was told over by famous Satmar Rebbe of, of a generation ago, that when people get involved in a fight, get involved in an argument, get involved in some feud, family feud, community politics, we've got to be all so cautious. Sometimes we'll stand there and we'll articulate and we'll even internally for the moment believe that I'm getting involved in this because of the cause. Is it because of the principle? Is it because of the needs of the society, of the community, of my family's dignity? 
But if the reality is, I'm just arguing with that guy. She's just having this issue with her sister-in-law, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, neighbor. The feuds that are happening are happening because of personality and not because of the issue. Not purely for the sake of the issue. We can get ourselves into major hot water. And if we can think back and learn from Emotia about what it means to humble ourselves and recognize we don't always even know what the issues are. I don't always know what's running through your mind. And much as I've projected, I've assumed, I've presumed, there may be elements I just haven't grasped yet. And maybe, just maybe, I'm not fully in the know. Maybe, just maybe, my leanings, my, my opinion, my determination is missing some of the critical data uh, that's necessary. And if we humble ourselves somewhat, we are far less likely to get riled up out of place and to get involved in issues where we really have no gain, ultimately. And then in the rare instances that it's necessary, because sometimes it is, we'll take those stances, but again, it will be after having really defined and refined uh, the issues and the thinking in the process. Not letting you get in the way, not letting our personal um, emotion carry us away can be so, so, so helpful and ultimately so much more healthy. With which, hopefully as we look towards this Parsha and then following that towards Pesach, we may have another Pesach message next week, but just in case, we're already going to pull Pesach in this week. Uh, looking towards that Seder, looking for these opportunities. Sometimes we're getting together with people around the table and whatever issues went on between us at some other juncture and we may have our facets that cause certain tensions within the family or again, within community, uh, trying to allow that to dissipate by removing my ego from the picture can help things come together, can help us have a more civil, more appreciative uh, Seder, and a more civil and more appreciated future. And certainly, if we can be the type of people that can be comfortable masking the Aleph side of ourselves, and ultimately, it'll come back and find us, uh, and can be the type of people who can not worry about the other issues that really don't, aren't pertinent to me and focus on issues that are relevant to our own personal excellence will definitely be the type of people and develop the type of families and communities that are all the more likely to achieve our tachlis.